Hello and welcome to Pensions Experts bi-weekly podcast. I am not Benjamin Mercer, who has a heavy cold earned at the PLSA conference. I'm instead Alex Janiel, Deputy Editor at Pensions Expert, with a more moderate cold that was earned at the PLSA conference. The last few weeks have been nothing short of extraordinary for the pensions industry, with pensions becoming the leading story on news bulletins. Trustees and their advisors, we were told, were fighting for the very solvency of their schemes, a view that has been roundly rejected by experts. It's nevertheless been a tumultuous time, and with me to discuss recent events, along with other matters of importance, I'm joined by one of the smartest trustees in the business. It's Capital Cranfield's Andy Cheseldine, who also chairs a small parts coordination group. Welcome, Andy. Morning, and thank you for inviting me on. Before we start, if I can just say your comment about solvency and of schemes, I absolutely agree with the experts who reject that. It's not about solvency, it's about liquidity. We're, we're more solvent than we've ever been. Absolutely, Andy. And that's that's something uh, you may well have seen. I've been doing the rounds on radio and TV, and then that's a point I've been uh, making too. Um, you might be able to tell from my voice, the last three weeks have taken their toll on me. What have they been like for you? And what has the market turmoil meant for the day job? It's been busy, certainly. I'm in the fortunate position that I've got some DB schemes, some DC schemes, some master trusts, and they're all in a decent place, uh, which we'll cover separately in due course, no doubt. But it's a question of being organised as much as anything. So, yes, in the DB schemes, there have been collateral calls and quite frightening collateral calls. But we've set up waterfalls of what we disinvest first. And we're in a good position. Bear in mind, we've seen extraordinary increases in interest rates, at least in the market, not less Bank of England base rate type increases. But the LDI providers have had to work with market rates rather than anything the Bank of England has declared. Therefore, they've been demanding more collateral. Therefore, we've been having to sell off some of our our assets. But that's okay. That's what they're there for. We took on LDI protections with full knowledge that if we used leverage, we'd have to meet any collateral calls that we got. And as an industry, I think we've done really well out of it. Pension funds is, is a rule of vastly better funded than there would have been if we hadn't used LDR. And markets appear to be calming, or there's certainly the possibility of more volatility in the coming weeks. I mean, Andy, what decisions have trustees been taking, perhaps have sort of that over the past few days, and what will they have to do in terms of organising their schemes to deal effectively with market conditions? The first thing is to talk to your actuary and investment consultant and figure out how much collateral might be required in the future and how much how much interest rates would need to increase to wipe out your collateral that you have easily available then you make a decision about well what's going to happen to interest rates it's interesting that 2018 the bank of england looked at ldi and looked at collateral calls and you might be in the the presentation that steve webb dropped this nugget in and they reckoned that was a one in a hundred chance of interest rates going up by one percent in one bound as it were and therefore the increases we've seen recently have been extraordinary. Now, in fact, we haven't seen big increases from the Bank of England. It's just market rates anticipating the Bank of England. So there's quite a lot of political risk between Bank of England, government and and us in the middle. So what we can do is simply prepare for worst case scenarios. But what we can't do that's on the DB side, on the DC side, the one thing I caution against is trying to do any market timing. You can make the decisions in the long term. Many of my schemes have done, but you shouldn't try and guess where the market is going to go in the short term. We touched on, well, I think we'll call it the S word in pensions the last few weeks, solvency and something that you counted me in my introduction. And the reason I mentioned that is because conversations I've been having with providers and also actually with one TV network suggested 
alarm amongst members and the surge of inquiries in, in some areas, people are reasonably concerned, even you know, as we've established. Certainly, if you're a DB scheme member, you, there's directly nothing for you to worry about. But have you experienced any surge of inquiries at all from, from membership or are you aware of any other trustees or colleagues who've had to deal with members? I've certainly not had any, any at all. I'm aware of some colleagues who've had one or two, but there's not a lot of it. In the DB side, most members just expect to be given their pension in due course when they get to retirement. They're not particularly worried because they know that there's a, a sponsor behind the, the promise anyway. On the DC side, uh, I think we've seen um, more volatility and perhaps more concern from some people that are coming up close to retirement. I'm fortunate or we've been brilliant one way or the other or the other. My master trusts are all close to retirement, either moving into cash and, and maybe some equities or a mixture of cash and multiple credit, low risk type investments rather than gilts. I'm aware that there are some schemes out there that are heavily invested in gilts close to retirement and frankly they're going to suffer a bit and i think members will possibly get a bit upset if they've seen a 25 30 percent drop in their, their fund value close to retirement we've seen a lot of opposition even i'd say outright aggression towards well ldi and, and consultants who yeah. perhaps advise their schemes to go down the street almost akin to consultants lacing db schemes of explosives for the last 20 years i mean what would you say to detractors and commentators who are pointing to LDI itself as kind of the cause and blaming the regulator for not being on top of things and generally seeing it, this is like an inevitable disaster that came from irresponsible advice provided by consultants to schemes? The short answer is I think they're wrong. I'd ask them to try and explain what they think LDI is. So at the simplest level, LDI is simply a way of matching your liabilities against your assets. So it's impossible as a pension scheme in a, D- a DB scheme to completely match your assets against your potential liabilities. Why? Because you need longevity insurance. You don't know how long people are going to live. That's part of LDI. The other two bits of LDI are short to medium term mismatch of your assets against liabilities and longer term. Take those in order. Short to medium term, you have If you're a relatively old scheme in particular, you'll have lots of different versions of price indexation that you're offering members probably. To match those exactly, you have to have bonds that mature at exactly the right time with exactly the right level of index linking. Very difficult to do. So what you do is you you get an attribute to calculate when your liabilities fall due at a given date, including inflation. And then you get an LDI provider to promise you those benefits and they buy a whole series of underlying assets to match it. You can go and then go away and just stick with maybe one or two guilt investments to overall match your liabilities, but not worry about not sweating the detail. So you're paying a premium for someone to, to manage the detail, not the major liabilities. That's just cost effective. The bit that's harder is that if you've got people who are not yet retired in particular, one, you don't know how long they're going to live. And more importantly, they're probably going to live for 30, 40, 50 years, and there simply aren't guilts to match those liabilities. So you can either just ignore it, which it doesn't seem very sensible to me, or you can go to an LDI provider and say, please, can you match this liability that will only become due in 50 years' time? So it's just a way of literally hedging your bets, but with an insurer. And a year at the PSA conference, you seem to have emerged from it far better than myself and Benjamin. I mean, do you think that it helped to assure and inform attendee, attendees who are probably in the midst of some of the busiest weeks of their careers? I think so, yes. 
you can't in a, a, a conference cover everybody's particular circumstances where there are some risks still in the system or where trustees for perhaps perfectly good reasons uh, were told that they could invest in infrastructure or property or some illiquid investments and get a, a turn on those while also holding LDI investments to match their liabilities. Well, if those infrastructure property funds are part of your collateral, then they're not very liquid. And if you get a quick call on cash, then you can have difficulty being able to pay it. So you you need to have some mechanism for keeping your liquidity there. But yeah, I I think overall, the conference was really good at showing the non-professionals at the, the conference that there isn't really that big an issue here. And sorry, I say non-professionals. I have the utmost respect for member nominated trustees and even employer nominated trustees that aren't professional actuaries, investment consultants or whatever. They're doing the job that they're meant to do, which is to look at the overall benefits provided by the scheme and represent the interests of the members. Uh, Andy, you appeared on a panel to talk about small pots, and it was observed on the panel that the small pots problem is only going to get worse. Perhaps you could talk us through the issues concerning small pots and give us an update on how small pots coordination groups work is progressing. Okay, sure. So um, as a natural function of auto automatic enrolment, the number of small pension pots has grown exponentially. People get auto-enrolled, perhaps they wanted to opt out, but they didn't get there in time, so they've built up a small pot. Equally, there are a number of different job types, whether it's plumbers, uh, hospitality in particular, where job turnover is really quite high. So in broad terms, we think that as of now, there are probably 4 million deferred pots that are worth less than £100. Now, they're protected by the rules. A provider can't charge a pound-shaped charge on them. They can only charge an annual management charge, uh, and that's capped at 75 basis points, at 0.75%. So they're probably okay with less than £100. Though, of course, it's costing the providers millions of pounds. The members who have pot sizes between 100 and 500, certainly, and maybe between 100 and £1,000, might well be losing out because they might be being charged, say, £1.25 a month plus 25 basis point charge. So they're paying the bulk of the costs. Now, between £100 and £1,000, we think there's of the order of 8 to 10 million of those. So there's that's a lot of members paying over the odds, in effect, if they have another pot somewhere else that's active that maybe they're also paying a pound on. So we can say for definite that pot sizes less than £1,000 are not cost-effective. What we can't say is who's paying for that lack of cost-effectiveness. Below £100, it's, it's always the provider. Between 100 and 1000 it's a combination of provider and member. So those numbers will only get bigger as more people um, leave employment. And I said at the conference that I expected to get worse quicker, if you see what I mean. What we do know from the past history of high inflation and certainly high salary inflation is that staff turnover tends to increase. So there'll be more people joining jobs and then leaving within one or two years, therefore creating more small pots. And even before COVID, PPI research thought that we'd double the number of small pots by 2027, I think it was. It might have been 2030. It's growing really quickly. Now, to put context up to this, the servicing cost of small pots is, if you ignore the fixed costs you've got with governance and doing reporting accounts, is somewhere north of £10 per member per year. And if you're not getting the money in to meet that cost, then somebody is cross-subsidising. So if you look at Nest, for instance, they have 4.5 million active members 
who pay an active member charge uh, a deduction from contributions. And they have six and a half million deferred members who only pay 30 basis points. So the cross subsidy there between active members and deferred members. In other schemes, the cross subsidies aren't from active deferred or, or maybe partly that, but they're from other groups. Perhaps less obvious, but there's cross subsidies everywhere. And that's not particularly fair on the people that are doing cross subsidies if they're not particularly well off or don't have particularly high contributions themselves. So what we're trying to do is to look at ways of uh, getting rid of some of the small pots by in the longer term, we'll probably go for pot. I think the government will go for pot follows member. So as someone moves from one job to another, their pot will follow them. But that's going to take five to six years to, to happen. So what some of us are doing, so the ones that can do it in the masterless market, we can do something called member exchange. So we can transfer members from one master trust to another without member consent. I'd expect them to be told in advance that we're going to do this, but we can move them en masse from, for instance, smart to now pensions or vice versa. And by doing that, what we do is get rid of some of the small pots, amalgamate them, take a small pot with, say, smart and give it to an active pot at now pensions, like I say, or vice versa. The member gains, the provider gains and the regulator gains. So nobody's losing out. And that seems to me a, a really sensible way forward. Now, an area of pensions that carries arguably even more importance, of course, we have the Pensions Expert PIP Awards coming up. And uh, Andy, we're recording this podcast the day before these awards. And by the time this comes out, they'll be revealed. You're a judge. Uh, judging these awards must help you give a pretty good idea of where the strengths and I guess the shortcomings in the industry lie, no? Yeah, I think that's right. You've got to be a bit careful with awards in so much as is it someone who's good at writing awards as opposed to writing award submissions as opposed to walking the walk, as it were. But it gives a really good insight into how strong the industry is, uh, how, from my perspective at least, how most providers are really focused on the member outcomes and member benefits. I was very impressed with uh, all of the submissions that I saw, certainly. And it's not just looking back historically. They're looking forward about how they can improve things in the future. They're looking at not just value for members, but also managing risks. So I, I was very impressed with the awards. Well, that's sadly all we've got time for. Thank you very much for joining me, Andy. My pleasure. Thank you. And if you want to read more about LDI, small pots, LDI markets, LDI inflation, and find out who won the Pippers, even if it's just to find out who won our LDI manager of the year, uh, please visit pensions-expert.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.